0: Three CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. Three CR pays respect to elders, past and present, of the Kulin Nations. We recognise their unceded sovereignty.
1: This
2: is Three CR Breakfast. Oh, yay. Alternative news, analysis, and current hand. affairs. Monday to Friday, seven oh, a.m. to late thirty a.m.
0: Good morning, listeners. You are on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. I'm with Inez in the studio. Good morning, Inez. Good morning. Bit of a chaotic one this morning, (laughs) but I think we're getting there.
3: Yeah, uh, sadly my uh, work friend went off off, and I forgot it was in my bag.
0: So that's a little jingle for you. Yeah, everyone check your bag. Your work phone might be hiding in there, Uh, you know, just in case. Um, But yeah, wow, it is the 1st of June. um, And guess what? time it oh no wait that I started that off all wrong. It's Radio Thon month. <gasps> do 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 stay tuned, stay radical, head to threecr dot forward slash donate to donate. Don't forget if you go to our Give Now crowd raiser which I'll find the details for shortly, to nominate your favorite show, aka Thursday breakfast. Uh, all of the shows have tallies. No, it's not a competition. It's just about raising the most amount of money for the station to keep us going for another year, but also it's kind of a competition. Um, and you can also donate by ringing the station uh, during business hours. That's between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. on 0394198377. That's 0394198377. So maybe we'll jump into what we've got on today. Maybe I'll kick it off. So first up, we're going to hear from Valerie, that's a pseudonym, who is a philosophy student, trans woman and spokesperson for the Fight Transphobia Unimelb campaign. Now, Fight Transphobia Unimelb aims to combat the problematic normalization of transphobia at a curricular and school policy level at the University of Melbourne. This interview was recorded by Leela on Tuesday, and it unpacks the transphobic premises of, quote, gender critical and, quote, theory, the lived harms experienced by trans people when this thinking is disseminated at a university level, and what kinds of changes could increase trans safety at Unimelb. So listeners, please be advised that that interview is going to be discussing transphobia and might be distressing, and we'll pass on some support lines when we're about to play it.
3: And then we will be joined by Robbie Thorpe and Lucy Loy. Robbie Thorpe is a longtime activist and broadcaster and is from the Krautungalong people of the Gunai Nation and the traditional owners of Lake Tyres. He has been integral to the long-standing black anti-colonial movement in Australia, including being a strong advocate for Pay the Rent, the Black GST and the Stolen Wealth Games initiatives. He joins us with Lucy Loy, who is an artist, curator and writer working with Dan Versilker and Seventh Gallery to chat about their latest show, Divine Intervention, an exhibition celebrating the artistic contributions and cultural leadership of Robbie Thorpe. And then we'll be joined by Jackie Hallen, uh, who is Reach Out's Director of Service, who has 15 years of experience in program management and health promotion, focusing on youth health and well-being. Jackie leads a diverse team of peer workers, mental health experts, content curators and volunteer coordinators at Out, and she joins us today to chat about the impact of exam and uni study stress on young people.
0: And finally, we're going to be joined by Swazik Brohan and Stephanie Sayer from Women with Disabilities Victoria to discuss the upcoming launch of Women with Disabilities Victoria's new set of gender and disability workforce development resources and why it's critical to integrate the lived expertise of women with disabilities into workforce development in the violence prevention space. Swazik is the Gender and Disability Workforce Development Program Manager at WDV, while Stephanie is WDV's Prevention Resource Development Officer. And this Action for Prevention launch event is going to be held online via Zoom on Tuesday, the 20th of June, from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. And we'll have all of that information, including how to RSVP, in our show notes. So big show as usual. Stay tuned.
4: Hey.
5: Every Wednesday at 11am, join me, Bunjalini, at the fire, on Community Radio 3CR. Three hours of historically informed, critical analysis of Aboriginal affairs and the ongoing political movement for land rights, treaty, sovereignty and the cessation of genocide, featuring the best of black Music. Angel Fire, eleven am to two pm every Wednesday on Community Radio, three CR.
0: And these are the news headlines for Thursday, the first of June. The Medical Board of Australia has this week announced updated telehealth guidelines targeting online prescribing business models which allow patients to receive prescriptions without a real-time direct consultation with a medical professional. The revised guidelines have been issued after a rise in companies providing asynchronous prescriptions in the absence of a consultation, which have attracted a large number of Australian customers since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Companies including startups InstantScripts, Eucalyptus and Mosh have seen this model grow in popularity over the course of the pandemic, using it to attract customers seeking convenient access to medicines. However, this approach has raised concerns within the Australian medical community, with the Medical Board of Australia identifying a serious gap between online prescription models and good medical practice. The updated guidelines acknowledge the importance of telehealth consultations as part of healthcare in Australia, but emphasize that good medical practice requires real time doctor patient consultations. The board has stated that issuing prescriptions without such consultations and instead prescribing via web based questionnaire tools is, quote, not considered good practice, end quote. Board chair Dr. Anne Tonkin, AO, has noted the risks of online-only asynchronous prescriptions, warning that, quote, A doctor who has not consulted directly with the patient and does not have access to their medical records is unable to exercise good, safe clinical judgment, end quote. The revised guidelines will come into effect from the 1st of September this year.
3: In other news... Reserve Bank of Australia Governor Philip Lowe says Australians battling rental crisis should find a flatmate, stay home or back with their parents amid a devastating rent and housing crisis, SBS reports. Mr Lowe warned Senate estimates in Canberra on Wednesday that rising rent and house prices quote, may not be within the realm quote, of the federal government due to population growth. This comes amongst fear over another interest rate highs, after confirmation of inflation spiking yet again. And with vacancy rates at record lows, Mr Lowe said supply was not keeping pace with that growth, warning rental prices were expected to rise by 10%. Mr Lowe also rejected Green Senator Nick McKinnon's suggestion that lowering interest rates would break the cycle, implying it would fuel inflation in other ways. Labour and Greens remain in a standoff over the government's 10 million housing future fund which is claimed to see 30,000 social and affordable homes built in half a decade. The Greens insist that, that does not go far enough and are demanding 5 billion every year for public housing.
0: And finally in news headlines South Australia's parliament has this week passed laws cracking down on protest in the state, with unions and activist groups identifying their potential to restrict freedom of expression and undermine the right to protest. Concerns have also been raised about the Malinaskas government's failure to engage in public consultation during the law's rapid drafting. These laws were rushed through the state's lower house last week, introduced in the wake of a rally held outside the Australian Petroleum Production and Exploration Association in Adelaide. The three days of action held by members of Extinction Rebellion included a person abseiling over a city bridge, resulting in the 90-minute closure of a main road. South Australia's Upper House passed the laws yesterday morning after more than 14 hours of debate, with MPs engaged in a lengthy exchange over proposed changes to the Summary Offences Act. The changes will mean that anyone charged with obstructing a public place can face a fine of up to $50,000 or face up to three months in jail. South Australian Union Secretary Dale Beasley has drawn attention to the hasty passage of the laws and their implications for labour rights protests, stating, quote, We will not accept that this is how laws are made in South Australia, especially laws that can land workers in jail for standing up for their rights in public places. End quote. Civil society groups, including Human Rights Law Centre, Amnesty International, SANT, and the South Australian Council of Social Service, have also condemned the passage of the bill. Premier Peter Malinowskis claimed on ABC Radio this week that the laws do not curtail or diminish people's right to protest, rejecting suggestions that they will result in more people being arrested and jailed. These have been the news headlines for Thursday, the 1st of June. You're listening to 3CR on 855 AM. And I think we might just once again plug that it is Radiothon Month. And if you want to hear more of our incredible dulcet tones bring you radical uh, and alternative current affairs coverage every Thursday morning, you can donate um, in three different places. So uh, do you want to tell us the phone number?
3: The phone number is 03941918377. That is 94198377.
0: You can also head to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. And finally, you can head to our GiveNow crowdraiser page. So that's givenow.com.au forward slash cause, that's C A U S E. 442 so that's givenow.com.au forward slash cause 442 that'll take you to 3CR's uh, general crowdraiser and when you donate you can specify who you'd like that donation to be made on uh, on behalf of and if it's uh, you know if you have a favorite show, say the one you're listening to now. Uh, Thursday breakfast. Yes, that is Thursday morning breakfast. Uh, You can then specify that you'd like it to go uh, under our tab. It all goes into the same place. It all goes towards 3CR's $275,000 goal to keep the station on air, keep it running, radical and independent. Um, But please do consider nominating Thursday breakfast when you donate because I'm sure many of you will be donating. Stay tuned. Stay radical
5: join the new international bookshop on saturday june 17th at 9am for the annual big red book fair thousands of books of all genres at a flat rate of three dollars more deals include one dollar zines and journals two dollar selected fiction and 10 percent off new books meet other lefties and find rare classics for low prices that are only available at the new international bookshop located at 54 Victoria Street, Carlton, Saturday the 17th of June. The new International Bookshop is a 3CR supporter.
3: First up, we'll hear from Valerie, which is a pseudonym, a philosophy student, trans woman and spokesperson for the Fight Transphobia Unimelb campaign. Fight Transphobia Unimelb aims to combat the problematic normalisation of transformia Transphobia at a Curricular and Social Policy Level. Recorded on Tuesday with Layla, this interview unpacks the transphobic premises of gender critical theory, the lived harms experienced by trans people when this thinking is disseminated at university level, and what changes could increase trans safety at UniMelb. And listeners, please be advised that the following interview discusses transphobia and may be distressing to listeners. You're welcome to come back in about twenty minutes. But if you do wish to speak to someone about any of the issues mentioned in this interview, you can always call Lifeline on 131114. That's Lifeline on 131114. For mob only support on 13 YARN, that's 139276. That's 139276. And LGBTQIA plus listeners may also wish to contact QLife on one 184527
2: Welcome to the show, Valerie. Thank you so much for joining us. I thought we could start with a bit of background. So, could you tell me what is Fight Transphobia UniMelb, and what does this campaign aim to achieve? Fight
6: um, Transphobia UniMelb is a is a group of anonymous students at um, the University of Melbourne, undergraduate, honours, masters, you know, of every year level, um, and of, of various of various majors, not just philosophy students, um, who are calling for the university to stop offering um, Phil20046 as taken and designed um, by Associate Professor Holly Lawford-Smith in in the winter term. And more generally, we aim to limit and stop, hopefully stop, um, the reproduction and the legitimization of transphobia um, on and off campus.
2: Thanks for that background. Um, so next up, I think there's been a, a lot of media, I guess, about these kind of polarised debates when it comes to really the humanity of trans people, which is not up for debate first and foremost. So
1: mm-hmm.
2: there's um, been a lot of talk about gender-critical feminism. Now, gender-critical feminism is a branch of feminism that is notoriously transphobic Uh, Mm -hmm. and I thought maybe you could break it down a little bit for us, for those of us that don't understand what exactly um, underpins this thinking. Yeah, what is gender-critical feminism?
6: So gender-critical feminism um, is a quite, I guess, diverse branch of feminism as seen from the inside. You know, it's, it's practitioners disagree on various things. Um, but beyond the kind of dog whistles that um, are often used by gender critical feminists, um, and I can talk about these dog whistles in a second if you want, um, they all agree that trans women aren't women, that trans men are not men, and that non-binary people you know, aren't non-binary. Um, and then conclude from this fact that uh, these trans people don't deserve rights based upon their identity um and I can talk a bit more about yeah like why why is this transphobic like what what's wrong with this it's, I think it's perhaps like common opinion for um especially people of an older generation in you know, a more conservative background that that trans women aren't the same as women um,
2: yeah if you could but, expand on that that would be great
6: yeah so for anyone that kind of responds to the idea that, for example, trans women aren't women, is not a transphobic fact, um, and this is a you know, central tenet of um, gender critical feminism, I'd respond, like, what, what would you consider genuine transphobia? Like, do you think that transphobia actually exists? Um, because it's very hard for a phobia of something to exist and, and uh, discrimination and you know, bigotry directed towards someone to exist if you don't actually believe that that identity, that, that group of people exists yeah um but perhaps you think okay um you know gender critical feminism isn't transphobic because they're not saying um you know trans people are disgusting or deserve to die or something to this effect you know this very like violent act of like hatred and bigotry towards trans people um and while this is true for most kind of academic um gender critical feminists most gender critical feminists invoke a kind of rhetorical strategy where they demonize the image um of trans people, especially trans women. Um, and so it's you know it's it's classically phobic in that sense that it's a it's an emotive response to the kind of sight um of trans people and, and the you know trans people's kind of existence. Um to give one example of this, this form of transphobic feminism, um uh and and as Janice Raymond um in her book the, the Transsexual Empire, The Making of the She-Male, um uh says that all transsexuals, in, in virtue of their existence, rape women's bodies. Um, and this is a kind of rhetoric that's used even today, despite you know, the transsexual empire being published in the 70s. Um, for example, in a famous article by um, a gender critical feminist that says pronouns are a rehypnol, hypnol being the, the date rape drug. Infamously, in 2021, um, associate professor Holly Lilford smith posted an image of trans flags on campus and accompanied them by um vomit emojis um and she's also said recently that there's no evidence she admitted on twitter that there's no evidence supporting the idea that trans women are a threat to cis women Mm -hmm. um so it's a very emotive kind of like a a bigoted response um that this feminism isn't informed by um and this kind of response echoes the you know, anti anti queer rhetoric that we saw in the last century, you know, labeling a group of people because of their sexuality or gender identity or presentation as groomers or pedophiles or as a contagion, and these are all figures and, and language being used today against trans people.
2: I think it's really important when gender critical feminism is so often posed as a theoretical um, debate or idea that you've shined a light on. The actual lived harms that these ideas I guess impose on trans people who are you know living their lives today that mm. there are real and tangible harms that come from this kind of thinking.
6: Yeah, it's not simply a, a an academic debate with no consequences like um, the the subject that um, teaches gender critical feminism, um at the university is a philosophy subject um and I have seen lots of gender critical feminists especially as philosophers um kind of comparing the, the the so-called trans debate to comparing whether you know tables exist um mm-hmm. which is a philosophical question and has not many tangible impacts and material impacts on people's lives in the way that debating whether a group of people exist and whether they deserve rights
2: yeah, absolutely. So we can see the harms in gender critical feminism. Where hmm. are these ideas being disseminated?
6: Um, what we're concerned with at, you know, at, at being um, Fight Transphobia Uni melb is at the university. So um, at universities, the way that gender critical feminism is being taught um, in a rather sympathetic way. Um, and I think what this does is when, when taught in a sympathetic way, when, when taught without this critical lens, understanding the context um, in which gender critical feminism exists on a greater kind of shift rightward globally um, and the kind of transphobia inherent in gender critical feminism, um, what it allows for is a funding and a platforming of, of transphobia, as I've said. Gender critical yeah. feminism is transphobic. Um, and with the institutional prestige that universities hold um you know like they they legitimate the harm caused by this transphobia right it as i said before it becomes a a debate about whether the harms innumerable harms against trans people um are legitimate And, and you know this this shouldn't be an academic debate but it becomes it um and so while we're concerned with how um, transphobia originates and, and reproduces and it's produced in the university, um, its effects, of course, are much more wide-reaching than just in an academic context.
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, you touched on the move right so there's been a lot of discuss and discussion recently about the Let Women Speak rally where we know that um, a group of people gathered and um, performed a Nazi salute on the steps of Parliament. How do you think these ideas uh, link with current right- wing thinking or the move right?
6: Um, so I think the the Let Women Speak rally and, and its attendance by um, members of the neo-Nazi National Socialist Network um, are kind of great and a very spectacular example of ideological and practical alliances between um, anti-trans ideas and the greater kind of fascistic right wing. Um, so, yeah, not only... Um, are there documented alliances between um, fascists or alt-right figures and famous kind of anti-trans activists um, which we saw at the Let Women Speak rally you know like like um, it was funded by CPAC um, uh, we saw attendees at the Let Women Speak rally freely amicably kind of interacting with the neo nazis um you can you can see photos of that online um but I also think that ideologically they're aligned on more than just this idea of um being anti trans so for example i there's there's a greater kind of appeal to policing um and and the power of the state to intervene in people's lives. Um, which is invoked by alt-right figures, fascists, but also um certain anti-trans calls for legislation. Um, so like for example, the call to sex segregate um gendered bathrooms. Um, how how is that going to be enforced? Like with security guards outside toilets, perhaps? And and you know, this is happening in the US at the moment with the atrocious legislation of transphobia that's going on. Um, but then, like, as we've seen recently, um, butch cis women, cis women are being kicked out of women's bathrooms because they they you know, appear trans to these security guards. Like, like it doesn't work. The, these ideologies butt against themselves, um, but also encourages kind of like nonsensical form of policing. And, I, yeah, and this policing... Is not just material, like it's not just actual police, but also what it means to be a real woman, what it means to be a real man, um, which second wave feminism, as we know, like fought so hard against. Recent recently I was I was I learnt about um this app called Giggle, um, which is owned and, and run by this kind of famous anti-trans figure. And so what she's done is create this app, which um, is for females only. It's a social media platform. And the way that she's enforced this is through facial recognition software that you take a photo of your face. And through AI, it checks whether um, you're a, a biological female. Um, and it's it's quite alarming to learn that the software that's used in this app is based upon like eugenicist racial science. It literally, the app literally measures your, the bones in your head. Like, like this is, this is phrenology. It's physiognomy. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, I, um, I would note that like people are not um, necessarily advocating for this science as a kind of racial science, but the effects is of it excluding, for example, Black women, like black women, have been kicked off or not allowed on the platform, even though they're cis women um, because of its foundations. So it's a very pernicious form of of racial science. Um, And I don't know, you know, I can't claim what universities are thinking. I don't know if they know these connections, but I assume they do. Um, And they have been quite permissive in the past with regards to, um, you know, racist forms of science. Um, Like especially the University of Melbourne um, was renowned 100 years ago, um, for the eugenicists that that taught there and that researched there. Um, And there's still a building named after a famous eugenicist at the University of Melbourne today.
2: So, you've really shown how transphobia can be an insidious force within academia, in particular um, under the teachings of gender critical feminism. Can you speak to how? universities are resisting this problematic normalisation of transphobia, what is happening um, on the ground? Is there any direct action being taken by universities to challenge this problematic and harmful ideology?
6: Yeah, you'd think they would be um, considering you know many universities have rainbow flags and you know pride flags and and trans flags displayed on campus and and you know um want to be welcoming to the many queer students that they have um but in reality, the university's responses have seemed to be yeah pretty dismal, pretty pretty unmeaningful and unsubstantive um when it comes to uh, teachers who support you know, gender critical ideology um and who kind of advocate, For various forms of transphobia and and cis cis sexism. Um, Like, so for example, the University of Melbourne has released an LGBTQIA plus action plan in March. Um, However, only two weeks ago, um, roughly to this day, just a day after Ida Hobbit Day, um, they cleared Holly Lawford Smith of any wrongdoing um, and said, any substantive wrongdoing, I should say, um, and said that, you know, she would be allowed to teach um, the subject that we're calling um, for the university to stop providing um, in the winter term. Um, And it would go ahead with all the same kind of content that it has in in past years. For example, the the text I quoted by Janice Raymond before that calls um, trans women rapists, um, that would be included. In the syllabus, as it has in, in 2020. Um, so it's pretty obvious that um, you know, transphobia can't be pinkwashed. We can't have Idahobbit Day events um at universities with rainbow flags and, and drag queens and and whatnot, and even, you know, LGBT ac- action plans, if there actually is no substantive action against the, the legitimization, the reproduction of transphobia. And and if, yeah, if you want to learn more about kind of what's happening on campus um, and what what we've done, you can visit our website, fighttransphobiaunimelb um, dot tiny with two i's. So that's t i i n y dot site. Um, or you can email us at fighttransphobiaunimelb.proton.me at proton um, if you want to help out, you know, get involved or, or whatnot. Um, but we're also calling on anyone, like any listeners. Um, today that might not go to the university um to write you know write to the university write to journalists about what I've said um research what's happened um tell anyone who will listen kick up a fuss about what's happening to anyone that you can start your own campaign against fight transphobia um you know whatever's in your capacity um and if you really do care about trans people Um, And especially if you're a cis person who's in a position to financially contribute, you know, we'd really encourage um, you to consider giving to um, organisations like the Incarcerated Trans and Gender Diverse Community Fund, um, Husk Housing, and the Trans Mutual Aid um, Instagram account at Mutual Aid, so-called OZ.
2: Thank you, Valerie. We'll include links to those resources in the podcast of this show. So you can get onto the 3CR website, um, look up Thursday Breakfast, and you'll be able to find them in our latest episode. So to wrap up our conversation, do you have anything else to add today?
6: Um, Yeah, I want to read out something that um, we wrote recently. It goes, what will it take for people to hear what we are saying? How many more suicides will that take? How many more murders? How many more people missing? How many more lives unlived or unlivable? How many more broken noses, eyes swollen from punches and tears? How many more slashes into our skin? How many more broken boundaries? How many more painful secrets? How many more estranged loved ones? How many more ruined relationships? How many more hours stuck in bed or without one? How many more hours of unemployment, stolen, low and underpaid wages? How many more lost jobs, how much more unemployment? How much more physical, sexual, economic and emotional abuse from our family, our friends, our lovers, our carers, from customers, police, inmates, guards, from strangers will we have to take? How much more of our anger and despair and self-hate and destruction and destitution will we have to take? How many more non-trans people who are poor, disabled, butch women, men, and or people of colour being kicked out of bathrooms, sports teams and shelters will you take? How many more cops patrolling every entrance, every word, every corner? How many more fascists on the steps of parliament will that take? Thank you.
2: Thank you so much, Valerie. I think that was a really moving point to end on. And just a reminder that These things are affecting our trans family, our trans community every
0: day. And that was Leila speaking with Valerie, that's a pseudonym, who's a philosophy student, trans woman and spokesperson for the Fight Transphobia UniMelb campaign. Fight Transphobia, Unimelb aims to combat the problematic normalization of transphobia at a curricular and school policy level at the University of Melbourne. And this interview unpacked the transphobic premises of, quote, gender critical, end quote, theory, the lived harms experienced by trans people when this thinking is disseminated at the university level and the sorts of changes that could increase trans safety at the university. Now, this interview did touch on some distressing topics. And if you wish to speak with someone about any of the issues mentioned in this interview, you can always call Lifeline on 131114. That's 131114. For mob only support, you can call 13 Yarn on 139276. That's 139276. And LGBTQIA listeners can access targeted support at Q-Life on 1-800-184-527. That's 1-800-184-527 between 3 p.m. and midnight. Or you can visit qlife.org.au. We'll have all this information in our show notes. And once again, thank you to Valerie for making the time to speak with Leela about this earlier this week. It's a really tricky issue, especially as it's ongoing uh, in terms of concerns at the university and broader concerns about the convergence between uh, this gender critical feminism and uh, the right wing in terms of, you know, strategy and tactics. And, um, yeah, just kudos to the people that are fighting on the front lines and encourage listeners to make sure that when you see calls for support, you, you take action. Um, you know, us trans folks can't do it alone. And there are some people that in the trans community who rightfully are, you know, tired of fighting and not, you know, not able to put themselves on the on the front line every time. So, yeah, just sending my solidarity to everybody. Um and uh, thinking of you. And now we are going to go to a track. This one is Garion's remix of Kira "Talk with Me." <laughs> I'm a was gary remix of Talk With Me by Kira Puru. You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM.
7: 3CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in
2: June. We need your financial support to be independent, community controlled and focused on people rather than profits.
7: Join us at the Collingwood Neighbourhood House for the launch of the Underground Survival Project Part 5, a zombie film series that began on the Collingwood housing estate over lockdown. The series travels from Collingwood to the desert in South Australia, and the most recent episode, The Industrial Wastelands of Upfield check out the film, have a feed, and raise some cash for our 3CR show, Satellite Skies, this radiothon. 6pm Friday, 9th of June. See you there.
4: Three shades of black is where I come from.
7: Have you heard about 3CR's national programs? Kaminatcha on community radio stations around Australia. Produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne. Services will be cut, jobs may well be lost and workers' entitlements will be undermined. Their basic human rights are as important as everyone else.
6: Over 200 million years, individual species have evolved. I mean, birds were once dinosaurs.
4: Anything nasty online seems to be targeted against women. Muckery is a bad deal, but muckety is absolutely not a done deal.
7: You're listening to Women on the Line.
1: Welcome again to Lost in Science.
7: And welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network.
2: Hello and welcome to Accent of Women.
8: Anarchist Wall this week. Listen to Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. You are listening to Let the Bands Play.
2: Tune in to Stick Together, worker stories and union news. Grassroots
0: Voice is broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network.
8: Hi, I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And
0: we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Papua.
5: Tuesday, six thirty until seven thirty PM.
9: News and music from West Papua. <laughs>
3: And now we'll be joined by Robbie Thorpe and Lucy Loy. And Robbie Thorpe is a long-time activist and 3CR broadcaster. And Robbie is a Kratongalung people of the Gunai Nation from the traditional owners of the Lake Tyres. He has been integral to the long-standing black anti-colonial movement in Australia, including being a strong advocate for Pay the Rent, the Black GST, and Stolen Wealth Games initiatives. He joins us today with Lucy Loy, who is an artist-curator, and Ryder, working with Dario Vasirka and Seventh Gallery to chat about their latest show, Divine Intervention, an exhibition that celebrates the artistic contributions and cultural leadership of Robbie Thorpe. Thanks so much for joining us here today,
4: both. Good morning.
8: Uh, Good morning. I've got a very scratchy line here. Like we've intervened with somehow. It's scratchy as anything. I can't hardly hear
3: is there... I, am I on speakerphone,
7: maybe?
8: No, I'm not on the speaker. Um, it's really, it's... Anyway,
3: let Lucy have a go and see you can work it out. Okay, sure. Hopefully it goes away soon. But um, could you... Well, Lucy, could you start off with telling us more about the show Divine Intervention?
4: Sure. Um... So Divine Intervention is a exhibition that includes new artistic works as well as some older archival material from Robbie's archive. And so a lot of that material that we're showing really demonstrates Robbie's kind of unwavering um, challenge to the legality of empire as well as the morality of empire in Australia too. So... Um, Anyone who has any kind of um, background knowledge about what Robbie's been doing for the past couple of decades, a lot of it has involved, um, uh, I guess, tireless bureaucratic legal letters as well as direct activism. There's been a lot of different types. And we wanted to really shed light on that stuff that often happens behind the scenes in um, written letters that kind of go back and forward between you and um, those kind of... Um, really large institutions. Uh, anyone who's ever tried to write a letter to council will know how frustrating that is and imagine yep. trying to write one to the palace.
3: No, absolutely. I think being able to um, bring it together and then put it out in the open is is really special and really important. Um, Robbie, did you have anything to add about your show Divine Intervention and what it's, what it's about?
8: I'm really struggling with this line here. It's like we're being intervened with somewhere along the line.
3: Okay, um, that's alright. Yeah,
8: it's ridiculous. I'm only uh, you know, a couple hundred yards away from 3CR.
3: Yep, I'll just, um, I'll just see what we can. I
8: can't. I can't even. I didn't hear what Lucy had to say. Then anyway, it's, it's better to just. You got a clear line with Lucy. Let her talk because I can't hear you. Sorry.
3: No, that's all right. Um, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll ask um, the next question and then I'll see if I can get some tech support down here for you.
8: Um, maybe try another
3: line or something yeah I can't hear at all absolutely I'll do that ASAP
8: Um,
3: and then I know for the opening night of your show which is coming up on Tuesday the 6th of June um, has a series of live action events that will unfold could you tell us more about what to expect and what these events will symbolise, particularly around the sham of the Batman Treaty.
4: Um, So there's a, as I said before, there's a number of different kind of layers to the work that's going to be featuring in Robbie's show. And there are obviously the historical archival documents, but there's also new artworks. And a lot of those works really um, resonate with kind of the, debate at the moment that's happening around treaty and voice, and it's kind of a really poignant time, I think, to be having Robbie's show. Um, so one of the actions that will be happening on opening night is that Robbie will be delivering a live speech to, um, to the audience, so to people who come, and then that will be filmed and then fed back into the gallery through the, as a kind of document or an, art, an archival document and an artwork for the duration of the show. Um, We'll also be lighting up a fire on Crown Land, so our gallery is located directly adjacent to Citizens Park in Richmond, Um, and we've got a little bit of a grass area outside that looks like it's part of our gallery, but it's actually part of the park, so it's zoned as Crown Land. Um, So we'll be lighting a fire and kind of gathering around and talking around the fire as well. Um, And there'll be a couple of other actions, but uh, we won't spoil them before the opening. We'll save that for the people that
3: show up absolutely Uh, I feel like from what I was reading and what you've just said that it really is going to be a really immersive experience or something that people will sit there and hopefully really think about what's happening and and why these you know statements are happening Mm -hmm. and and what is the um, like the symbols of you know the the crown fire and um yeah just just putting them in parallel for where we're standing today and you know all the amazing work that Robbie's been able to do mm-hmm. um, and I know that you know when you were when seventh gallery was trying to like come up with um, like the pro the first Nations annual run commissioning mm-hmm. program um, I know the work has been run by seventh gallery through the first which is the annual commissioning program. Could you tell us more about the program and how like, the partnership came to be?
4: Yeah, sure. Um, so FIRST is our only funded exhibition project every, um, every year. Um, and so its primary purpose is to give a platform to First Nations culture makers, artists, activists, mentors. Um, It's pretty flexible. We like to be open about it. Um, We don't really have a closed definition of what an artist is and we're pretty open about what an exhibition can be as well. Um, And so the partnership with Robbie started, I think it started last year, so my colleague Dario um, shares the role with me and um, our role is community managers, so we're really kind of trying to, Integrate and be involved directly in the Richmond community itself. Um, Seventh has just recently moved there, so we felt it was really important to get to know all of the other community art spaces, the local artists, people who really matter in the local area. Dario re- met Robbie at a meeting at Barn, which is nearby, and then I guess the partnership just kind of struck from there. We've been chatting and hanging out and spending time in the space, and it's been really fun it's been really um kind of informal and the works have just kind of evolved through through that method I suppose.
3: Yeah it sounds like it's been a really important and vital partnership um and I like how you said that you know your gallery the gallery moved there um and that you really wanted to build community there um and I think that's really important it's like no matter where you're going trying to make sure that you are connected to the people and the local artists. Absolutely. And I think with uh, Robbie, hopefully we have you back on the line, uh, could you tell us a little bit more about your divide, your show, Divine Intervention, and what you really are like hoping um, people will see or feel on the opening night as well?
8: Um, there's a bit of history behind the, the idea of Divine Intervention. So... Uh, I've been thinking about it for a long time personally, but uh, it's, it's an inevitable thing because of the disrespect that the established law has for the for the true sovereignty of this land, and it's, it's bound up in that. And it also uh, points out that there is an alternative law here that we're talking about, a precinct one. It sheds light on the true history, the true narrative of this place. And, you know, we understand the divine nature of law here, and... Uh, and the disrespect for it is going to result in a divine intervention, and people can probably already see that in regards to the environment yep and uh you know, the the nature of the world at the moment because of the disrespect for the true the true law the you know, the creation laws that we talk about well I think it's a joke, but it's uh yeah uh, and and timely the, the exhibition's timely because of the talk about a voice. You know, uh, it's, it's, you know, if you have a look at the history of lawmaking for Aboriginal people in this country by by the, the colonizers, none of them are any good, not one of them. You can't tell me one of them. that's any good. And wh- why are people being let into uh, voting in a constitution that we've never been a part of? So, you know, people need to think about it, uh, the war of this land, and hopefully this exhibition can um, shed some sort of light on that. It's also uh, the date is important because it's the date that the only treaty that was ever signed in this country was done here uh, on this land of the Kroon on June 6th. And people don't really know much about these, the true history here. So uh, an intervention coming. Whether it's uh, by man or by by the spirit, that's why it was sort of a bit of a heads up to. You know, there's been a resistance to this by Aboriginal people the entire time of colonialism. Have no consent, they have no treaties, and they have no jurisdiction. Which is, you know, we understand the jurisdiction here. The colonisers don't. They've got no respect for it. And um, this is this is what. The inevitable outcome of that is a divine intervention,
3: if you understand what I mean no, I definitely do. I think it's important to know that you know without taking care and it's it, without taking care of um, Aboriginal people and really working you know with them and and just being able to have nuances of what the legislation is going to be or what all of this really means and knowing the history and that it hasn't been. Um, It hasn't been great for a very long time, and I think it's yeah. I think it's important to shed light on that. And having the Batman treaty is that what you were referring to? The
8: yeah, yeah, all of that, and and it's it's about average people having a space in their own country to express themselves too, which is why I really appreciate Seventh Gallery's um, offer of doing an exhibition. You know, it's um, it's. It's been a passion of mine since I've ever understood anything about what's going on in the world. So it's, you know, it's, 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 it's taken a long time to get to this point. And it's a very hostile society out there for Aboriginal people. There's some uh, truths I need to understand. And, and hopefully, you know, the truth's got a big part of, of what a divine intervention would represent. And and you know, we line that the truth will always emerge at the end of the day seems to come out in the wash. So if you understand that that idea of law, true law, this is what's going to happen. And it's not hard to understand. Really?
3: No, it's not. I think knowing that divide intervention, whether it it it'll happen, um, and without <laughs> without respecting the space and the people who share it and the people who've been here for forever um yeah i think that's that's really important i also wanted to ask robbie um and lucy when you were like putting together all of the artworks and the archival pieces or even you know writing and coming up with the ideas what uh, how did that process feel for the both of you i start with well, Robbie. It was,
8: yeah. for, it was good for me because i have a, an ar- archive here in my house that no one's ever seen And it's like it's it's, it's my history of the last 50 years of my life documenting things going back to the early 70s in regards to um, Aboriginal people and the treatment from the state, what we tried to do to uh, survive in those times, and and how how the state treats our people. Mm. This has got a lot of history behind it. And before that, there's the, the history of oppression of our people it's all culminating and now it's time for you know we've got to we have some sort of uh, voice in our community so and um this is a way of expressing it well you know the mass media doesn't look after aboriginal people you know i really appreciate our community radio because it's, it's the voice for the people on the ground and um you know we, we've got a lot to say aboriginal people and you know, we come from the beginning we're talking about a divine law which is not really made by man or woman. It's spirit-based, and we're just the caretakers, the custodians and the guardians of something sacred. So it, this is why we understand what will happen, because of the disrespect for that law. That's not just here in Australia. It's everywhere around the globe. Yep. Australia's probably the last continent that was colonised.
3: Yep, and knowing yeah. that... Um that sovereignty and self determination is really important, and that yeah, it has been from the beginning. And there, are caretakers, and there is divine law, but I think it's so important as well that with through the show that it's clear that you know Aboriginal people really need many spaces to be able to express themselves. Bring it back to sovereignty and self determination, um, and I think you're, it's
8: and there is an appetite for it too by the wider community. And look, most people in this country got denied any sort of education about anything. Yep. And it was all one-way traffic here. You know, Cook discovered Australia. Don't even know much more than that. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a true history here. And we all know that the true history is the divine intervention, in a sense. The truth is the, is the, uh, is the vehicle. The truth, the truth is the way, as they say. Yep. So that's the, the intervention from a different... Legal perspective, which we hold, and you know that's the way we operate. You know, we, we, we didn't uh, document everything like that. It was in our mind. It was in our it was in our DNA already. And I that's think, why uh, the idea of making sure that every young person went through the law, so they understood the basics. You
4: know,
3: yeah, absolutely. The
8: basic
4: L- law. I
7: I, I think.
4: Yep, one more one more thing just to add to that just a kind of a thought is that I think that you know obviously the stark difference between the divine law that Robbie's talking about and then the kind of legal system of the of the country of Australia since the start to now is that um, there is no justice in in this legal system developed by by the coloniser. There's no... um, And it's almost not... It's not written for justice. It's written for organisation. And I think that that kind of comes out a lot when you look at archival records. Um, It's not about being fair. It's about control, and it's about keeping things in order. And I don't think that that's what the divine law that Robbie's talking about was designed for or is about... Um, Anyway, that's
3: just a thought. No, I think that's a, a really important point. Um, and also to remember, and I think a lot of our 3CR listeners will will know this, is that legality is not morality. It never has been. And then the criminal, you know, quote-unquote justice system only works the way that it was exactly designed to. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, through Robbie's work, um, we'll definitely be able to see a lot of that. Um, mm-hmm. And lastly, Could you tell us more about where the show is and how we can show up?
4: Yes. Um, So the show is at Seventh Gallery. Um, Our space is now in Richmond on Church Street. It's between Citizens Park and the Cop Shop. So that's 213 to 215 Church Street. The opening is um, next Tuesday from 6 to 8 p.m., Um, We'll probably run a little bit later. Um, Feel free to rock up. We're going to have some food and some drinks um, and any donations that we raise on the night will be passed on to Save the Rent. Um, And the exhibition will continue at the gallery until the 22nd. Um, And our gallery hours are 12 till 6, Wednesday till Saturday.
3: Okay, amazing. Thank you so much. Definitely get down there when you can. But thank you so much, Robbie and Lucy, for joining us here today on 3CR. We look really forward to your exhibition. It sounds really important and vital. Thank you yeah, very thank much. you. I'm, I'm
8: looking forward to it too. Thank you.
3: Thank you so much. Have a good day.
8: Thanks,
3: Robbie. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. We've just heard from Robbie Thorpe, who's a longtime activist and 3CR broadcaster. Robbie is a Kratungalang Person from the Gunai Nation, from the traditional owners of Lake Tyres. He's been integral to the long standing black anti colonial movement in Australia, including being a strong advocate for Pay the Rent, the Black GST, and the Stolen Wealth Games initiatives. And he joined us with Lucy Loy, who is an artist, curator and writer working with Dario Veserka and 7th Gallery to chat about their latest show, Divine Intervention, which is opening this Tuesday, the 6th of June. And we'll put all the notes in the show notes. Hey. Hey, hey,
4: hey. i got a message for you. you got a message for me. One day I will come together and sit down by the fire.
5: Every Wednesday at 11am, join me, Bunzalini at the fire, and Community Radio 3CR. Three hours of historically informed, critical analysis of Aboriginal affairs and the ongoing political movement for land rights, treaty, sovereignty, and the cessation of genocide, featuring the best of black Music. Bundles Fire, 11am to 2pm, every Wednesday on Community Radio 3CR. Who's lead us? Who's away, 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 away,
4: away. Left After Breakfast, 38 years of information, insights, analysis, and opinion. Just plain old common sense, really. 8.30am on Fridays.
3: And now we will go... To an interview with Jackie Helen, who is Reach Out's Director of Service who has 15 years of experience in program management and health promotion focusing on youth health and well-being and the Director of Service Jackie des- um, leads a diverse team of peer workers, mental health experts, content creators and volunteer coordinators and she joins us today to speak about the impact of exam and study stress on young people. Thanks so much for joining me today Jackie. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely, any time. Well, I wanted to start off with Reach Reach Out's national survey, which was conducted last year in August, um, which has shown that almost 50% of young people feel extremely stressed um, or very stressed about study uh, and exams, with similar numbers indicating that study stress is having a real major impact on mental health and well-being. Could you tell us more about why study stress appears to be one of the biggest concerns for young people today?
7: Yes, absolutely, uh, and thanks for highlighting Reach Out's important research in this space. So, what we've um, really seen is that, you know, as you shared, that study stress is having this this big impact on young people's mental health and well-being. Um, and that that research was kind of looking at the impact on their mental health and well-being. But when we think about other research we've done that looks into why. Um, and, and understanding that is that you know uh, a large um, majority of young people will <clears throat> excuse me go through exam and study stress, so it's it's just um, impacting a lot of young people. It can also you know we're hearing a lot about the cost of living pressures and um, and the economy at the moment. So I think that young people can be equating their performance in exams and thinking about you know will I be able to get a get a job um, that kind of lives up to what I've I've imagined for my life and will I be able to kind of, yeah, be successful in in the things that I've chosen Mm -hmm. Um, so it kind of can link to um, their current experience uh, link and link to their expectations of the future
3: Yeah, I think that's a really uh, really vital point I know with, you know, with rising expectations and the cost of living and COVID and barriers to even like entry-level jobs and everybody saying you can buy a house all you have to do is quit lattes um (laughs) I think it makes complete sense (laughs) yeah exactly I think it makes complete sense that you know study and exam stress is impacting almost every aspect of young people's lives can you tell us more about like what are the real life impacts of stress on young people's lives either physically or mentally emotionally relationally yeah
7: absolutely Uh, What we learned is that it can impact things like their um, ability to concentrate. So we know that there's a healthy level of stress, you know, so you need a level of stress, productive stress, in order to be able to be motivated, to be able to study effectively. But when it tips over, and everybody's, like, uh, sort of tolerance level is different in this space, but when it tips over, it can be that unproductive stress, and that's where it gets, like, hard to focus, hard to concentrate. It can... um, Impact your relationships. So I think we, we can all relate that when we're stressed, we maybe get a bit more snappy with, with our family or with um, the you know, friends that we're living with and things like that. So it can impact relationships in, in that way. It can also mean that you make different choices. So you, if you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself to study, maybe you're not getting out to um, enjoy, to do the things that you enjoy, not prioritising exercise, you might be eating, you know, more sugary or high-carb foods to try and, you know, keep in your mind, keep that energy up or, or find kind of quick solutions. And I think all of those things like feed into our physical um, health and our mental well-being.
3: Yep, absolutely. I think while you were talking, this is maybe just a personal anecdote, but I remember when I was studying for, I think, like year 11 exams, I didn't have a desk, <laughs> so I was like studying over my bed, um, and because I was studying like that for weeks, my, I feel like my back <laughs> got like some sort of oh. lockstep in it, because I was just like studying over my bed. Um, yeah, absolutely.
7: Or, um, you know, maybe we've got a crook neck from sleeping with the textbook under the pillow. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Absorb into overnight osmosis.
3: Yeah. (laughs) I wish I could learn through osmosis. That would be pretty cool.
7: Teach me algebra. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Um, And also just going back to the survey because he said, you know, it's – thank you for highlighting the – research that Reach Out has done, Um, did anything really surprise you about the survey or really highlight any key areas where young people may need a little bit of extra support?
7: yeah absolutely. One area that um you know makes a lot of sense, but we weren't weren't expecting or hadn't seen it in this way before was that um it was really affecting young people's sleep to exactly the example um you know uh, that we were just touching on so yeah over around three quarters of young people were saying it was really affecting their sleep, and sleep is so linked to our our physical and our mental wellbeing. so That's things like um, if we don't have a good night's sleep, uh, it can affect our mood, it can affect our ability to concentrate, it can affect our ability to recall information. And so, yeah, seeing that impact was really surprising. When we think about, you know, what you can do in that space, um, I think there's a few, you know, and all of these things are really easy to say but can be hard to, to put into place, but having a simple um, bedtime routine, so kind of phones down, you know, an hour before you go to bed, not having that screen time with the, what we know about how that can um, impact the brain, um, going to bed at the same time every night, aiming for eight hours, and knowing that that will actually help your brain be in a better position the next day rather than cramming all night. So mm-hmm. some of those, um, again, yeah, easy to say, can be hard to, to actually change our habits in that space but sleep was a really surprising area. We've actually developed some new content um, working with young people around sleep habits and that's available on reachout.com as well.
3: Amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with kind of reframing our lens to what um, we think might be the best best thing for us Um, and being like, no, I think maybe... Feeling a little bit well, more well-rested um, might be good. But, yeah, I think sometimes it could be hard to um, really absorb that um, when you are a young person and the stakes feel so high.
7: Yeah, and you're thinking, oh, like, you know, I want to do everything I can. And if we reframe everything I can from studying till the wee hours of the morning to giving my brain the rest it needs, so that it re- can recall what I've learned kind of throughout the semester as well.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's like some few things that like young people can do to maybe like manage or cope with stress. I guess sleep is a really foundational one. Um, I guess for like parents or guardians or carers or just people living with young people going through studying and exams. How can they um, also like show up and support a young person?
7: Oh, such a great question. So... We want yeah, parents, carers, friends to really be the support crew for people going through exams, so recognising that it is a stressful time and it can um, impact, you know, your, your mental um, wellbeing. So things that you can do is just sort of asking how you're going and just really being there to listen and not um, really hard to do again, but not provide solutions. So just kind of going, oh, that, you know, that sounds really challenging How are you thinking about that? How are you working through that? Is there anything that's worked for you in the past? So, listening, validating, and asking questions um, provides a lot of relief. Like young people, you know, just want to be heard a lot of the time. Um, And then, a second thing that's quite practical um, is, you know, being able to to cook healthy meals and have healthy uh, meals and snacks available um, if that's something, you know, you're you're able to do. I know that might be. Bit more difficult in a flatmate situation, but um, maybe if you sort of take turns, and because that we know that's really good food for the brain. Uh, And then um, as a friend, maybe things like suggesting, hey, do you want to meet up and just go for a half an hour walk and get outside, get the movement, you know, um, and get that enjoyable break, you know, meaningful, purposeful break, not just kind of um, the constant disruptions of scrolling on our phones
3: yeah, of course. thank you so much. I think they're really beautiful and helpful tips. Would I have loved someone to go for a little walk and to deliver me freshly cut oranges while I was going through my exams?
1: That would have been pretty special
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um well Jackie, I thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, lastly, if, you know if people are if young people are experiencing you know stress, um, where can they go to maybe get some little extra support or look at some resources?
7: Yes, a really important question. So firstly, some of the signs that you might need extra support are if you're, yeah, feeling like finding it hard to concentrate, feeling quite overwhelmed, um, feeling like you're not enjoying things like you used to anymore, um, always feeling like you're putting a huge amount of pressure on yourself, they're really good signs that might be good to get some support. You can jump on to Uh, reachout.com, it's a free digital service available 24-7, so you can uh connect with um and and hear from other young people in our online community you can access like just tips and resources for all different types of um study hacks and got some great content on that and you can also chat one-on-one with a trained peer worker and that's a young person who has their own like journey of mental health challenges and um will just really be there to do that listening validation and maybe even share some of what's worked for them
3: yeah, that's really amazing. It seems like there's so many services, something for everyone, um, and some really important signs to look out for. But thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a really wonderful interview, Jackie. Um, hope you have a lovely day.
7: You too, and hope somebody brings you those oranges.
3: Yes, <laughs> I so too. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. You've just heard from Jackie Hallin, who has 15 years of experience uh, in program management and health promotion focused on youth, health, and well-being. As Reach Out's Director of Service, Jackie leads a diverse team of peer workers, mental health experts, content creators and volunteer coordinators. And she joins us to talk about the impact of exam stress and study stress on young people. Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the
7: listener, to support radical, community-owned media during our Radiothon. We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the station to help keep 3CR going for another year. Fierce,
2: independent community media is vital and we need your support to keep radical voices and issues on the airwaves. The 3CR Radiothon
1: kicks off in June.
2: To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Call the station on 039419
7: 8377.
1: Or drop in at 21 Smith Street Fitzroy during business hours. 3CR. Stay tuned. Stay radical.
7: Accent to women.
4: It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a in a completely violent um, cultural milieu that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accent to women.
7: What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the How the can country. people live
5: ordinary
8: lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are two where there are armies there and
3: terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accent to women.
1: A
2: show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds on Community Radio 3CR.
0: We're back on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And we are now joined by Swazik Braun, and Stephanie Sayer from Women with Disabilities Victoria to discuss the upcoming launch of WDV's new set of gender and disability workforce development resources and why it's critical to integrate the lived expertise of women with disabilities into workforce development in the violence prevention space. Swazik is the Gender and Disability Workforce Development Program Manager at WDV, while Stephanie is WDV's Prevention Resource Development Officer. And the Action for Prevention launch is going to be coming up on Zoom, Zoom on Thursday. My goodness, on Tuesday, the twentieth of June, from eleven a.m. to twelve p.m. Good morning, Swazik and Stephanie. Thanks for joining me.
1: Good morning. Thanks for having you. me. <laughs>
0: Don't worry, next time I'm going to direct the questions as well. But it's good to have you both on. Uh, Swazik, I'll start with you. So attending to the intersections between gender and disability is key to the work of WDV. And so I was hoping we could begin by hearing about the importance of being sensitive to this in the violence prevention space. So could you speak to the state of responsiveness to these intersecting concerns in mainstream initiatives, both in Victoria and nationally, that are seeking to eradicate gender-based violence?
9: Absolutely, and thank you for having us today. It is such an important question because uh, we have to keep in mind that violence is gendered. Evidence shows that today violence is overwhelmingly experienced by women and non-binary people and perpetrated by men. And if we add a disability lens to it, it's important to keep in mind that women with disabilities experience both gender and disability-based violence. Compared to women without disabilities, women with disabilities experience higher rates of violence more frequently. They also experience specific types of violence often related to the nature of their disability. They report violence to the police less often. They seek the support of services less often. But the good news is that in Australia, we have national and evidence-based frameworks to guide the prevention of violence against women and girls. In 2015, Our Watch released a framework called Change the Story, and in this framework, they unpack what they call the drivers, the factors of violence, as well as the actions to prevent violence. And more recently, in 2022, Our Watch partnered with WDV to release another framework called Changing the Landscape. And in this framework, they really add a disability disability lens to change the story. Mm. So they really add a disability lens to the drivers and the actions. And they also added what they call the principles, which Mm. is how we can implement the actions into practice.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
9: Um, Yes. And um, in this framework, uh, just uh, one or two examples. Uh, For example, uh, as prevention practitioners, Uh, they recall us that uh, we have to ensure that our work is inclusive of people with disabilities. If we organise an event, we have to make sure that it is accessible for people with disabilities. If we deliver training, we have to ensure that we reach people with disabilities. If we offer services, we really have to make sure that we provide accessibility to make reasonable adjustments for people with disabilities.
0: Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I think... The gender and disability workforce development program that's uh, happening through WDV at the moment is really important because not only is it, you know, taking all of these questions of access and inclusion into account, but um, seeking specifically to prevent violence against women with disabilities before it happens by targeting things at multiple levels. So, can you tell us how the program originated and how it currently operates? Because I'm really interested in how it builds capacity and integrates the lived expertise of women with disabilities who've experienced. Experience violence.
9: Absolutely. So this program is a primary prevention program that was developed in 2014. So we have been around for some time already. So the program started as a pilot, and since we had five stages of development and innovation. And currently we are at the end of stage five of the program. But we are very pleased that we have received the funding for another four years from the Office for Prevention of Family Violence and Coordination. So we are also planning for stage six of the program. This program is a workforce development program. So we target social services, disability and prevention workforces. And we have three main goals. Reduce gender and disability-based discrimination, prevent violence against women with disabilities, and improve the representation and opportunities of women with disabilities. As part of this program, we undertake some activities. So, um, I would like to elaborate a little bit on the experts by experience. Mm -hmm. This is a team of 12 women and non-binary people with disabilities. And they have different types of disabilities, different life experiences. And they are really a skilled workforce because they are provided with professional development sessions. And as part of this group, They provide consultations to both WDV and external organizations. And any organization can consult the experts on a policy, a program, or resource. And some of the experts also enroll into our train-the-trainer program. And once they are trained as a trainer, they deliver awareness raising sessions to different organizations. We also have a training component for the program, so this training is based on changing the landscape. Most of our training materials are co-designed with the experts. And as part of this training, we train professionals and organizations mm. to become gender and disability inclusive.
0: Mm.
7: Yeah. So we
9: offer a, a range of training options. Um, and last but not least, we also have a redo development component Uh, but I'm going to start speaking here and I will let my colleague Steph talk a
0: little bit more about this. Yeah, no, of course, and thank you for taking us through that. Um, Stephanie, we'll go to you to to talk about WDV's Action for Prevention event on the 20th of June, which is going to be launching your newest set of gender and disability workforce development resources. So can you tell us a bit about the resources that WDV is going to be launching at the event and who they're targeted towards? Yeah, so
1: we're launching four really great uh, resources at our event. We've been working over them for the past 12 months. So the first one is the Taking Action Guide. So that's a collection of WDV resources that have been brought together to showcase the intersectional perspective on uh, preventing violence against women with disabilities specifically, and looking at that intersection of gender and disability. So that focuses on the ableist drivers and the six essential actions outlined in changing the landscape. And then we have our micro webinars. So that's a two part self paced online course. Uh, each of the modules takes about 10 to 15 minutes. And the first module uh, focuses on increasing awareness of the impact of violence against women with disabilities. And then the second module uh, goes through, you know, primary prevention
0: mm-hmm. and what
1: that looks like and what that means for preventing violence against women with disabilities. The third one is our resistance to gender and disability inclusive practice resource. So that looks at the spectrum of forms of resistance and helps people to um, identify how it takes place in the workplace Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, and in particular when implementing uh, prevention initiatives. So we're hoping that this pool will help people better identify and then challenge the barriers to ableism and gender equality in the workplace. And then finally, but definitely not least, is our PreventX case study. So this is a case study that is illustrating the value that was added to the 2022 PreventX conference after safe and equal consulted with our experts by experience. Mm -hmm. So that uh, document explores the outcomes of that particular consultation and how that influenced the 2020 conference.
0: Yeah, brilliant.
1: Yeah, all of these resources are uh, directed or our target audience is workforces that contribute to preventing violence against women with disabilities. So this could include uh, the disability sector, the social service sector... Uh, local governments, or even health services, with the aim that we are increasing awareness and knowledge, but also confidence in people's um, ability to implement prevention strategies in their workplace to improve gender and disability inclusive practice.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I really appreciate the fact that it is operating both um you know, to affect change within the workplace and within workplace cultures and organizational structures, but also in terms of client-facing services um, and making sure that, you know, interactions with people that are using services um is also informed by this work. So just before we wrap up, can you, uh, Stephanie, take us through why uh, the resistance backlash, uh, sorry, resistance and backlash to disability inclusive practice tool is so important because it builds on some of these concerns we've been been discussing.
1: Yeah, so we've received a lot of feedback um, from partner organizations and organizations that we work with that there was a real gap in the resources. So there's Lots of fantastic pre-existing resources that focus on responding to resistance and backlash uh, to gender equality, but there was nothing that looked at the intersection of gender and disability. So like those other resources, this one has been inspired and looked at, like I said before, that spectrum of resistance, and then it gives examples on how to identify, uh, how to respond, but most importantly, how to prevent that from occurring. So, as with all our work, we seek to break down the intersectional barriers within workplaces. So, why this isn't a a definitive resource, it is one that can support those ongoing conversations and, in turn, policy creation Mm. that workforces are doing to prevent discrimination and violence against women with disabilities. When talking with people through the development of this resource, there's been a lot of excitement. And I think that only further illustrates that there has been a bit of a a need in the sector. But I think it also suggests that people are are really wanting and willing to do the work. They just need um, a bit of support, which I guess organisations have a responsibility to create, inclusive and safe workplaces by removing barriers to participation and working to eliminate workplace discrimination, which supports the inclusion of women with disabilities. Yeah. So I, th- I think it's been well, well reported, especially lately, that people with disabilities are underrepresented in the workforce. Which yeah. I think it's 10% of people of working age with a disability are unemployed, which is twice as high as people without disabilities, and then that those rates are even worse for women. They experience higher rates of unemployment, the um, women with disabilities mm. experience higher rates of unemployment compared to their men with disabilities. So if organisations increase access to open employment through things like meeting access requirements and reviewing ableist recruitment policies, as well as creating avenues, for promotion and, and professional development and training, they're embedding this into their core business.
0: Absolutely. Rather than
1: rather than an add on or an afterthought.
0: Totally. So I think yeah. it's
1: about being proactive rather than reactive, which is particularly relevant when we talk about resistance and backlash. Because yeah. it's to be expected when making social change. Yeah. So anticipating it um, allows for people to work towards prevention in a more sustainable way and bring more people along with us
0: yeah totally and i think this is you know why these resources are so important and look we're going to have to wrap up now unfortunately as we're getting to time but we'll have all the information in our show notes swazik and stephanie thank you so much for taking the time and encourage people to get along to the action for prevention event
1: thank you so much
9: thank you so much
0: And that was Swazik and Stephanie from Women with Disabilities, Victoria. That's all we've got time for today on 3CR 855 AM. We'll catch you next week. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop,
2: Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au.